It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Welcome to Quantum number 273, Quantum, a podcast that looks at news and views from throughout the world, uh, from a Christian perspective, and yet we are open to all. Um, one of the good things about Quantum is the level of uh, feedback that we now get, which is really marvellous. And uh, of course, for last week's where we looked at what's going on in Israel, now, I was contacted by a couple of people who uh, wanted to point out and, and I think fairly point out that they could understand why uh, a country wouldn't fly the Israeli flag, for example. And they were expressing more sympathy with the Palestinian side. And those of you who did that, I have to say you did it very well and graciously and thank you for that. Um, and I was also contacted by a lady. Now, this has to be anonymous. This, To me, this is amazing. I am not going to tell you this lady's name. Um, I was contacted by a relative of hers who let me hear this audio that you are now about to hear. I'm not going to tell you her name. I'm not going to tell you exactly where she is, except she's in Israel and as a nurse. Now... I think it's about three and a half minutes, four minutes. Uh, I've already, I've got permission to use this, by the way, and we used it on a Christian radio station here in Australia. But for me, this is the most moving thing I've heard in a long time. Hey, everyone. Thank you for all the prayers. It's really great to get support because sometimes when I scroll through or look through my Instagram and you just see people living their lives and enjoying it, it's just makes you feel so alone and like nobody understands what's going on here so it's really great to see support thought i'd give a quick update on our situation in the hospital which is really under control and really fine for now after the initial shock and the initial bringing of um all the wounded and and dead to us so saturday was the biggest hit where we received 200 patients and most of them were lightly wounded and either taken either just in the er or uh, moved to orthopedics uh, we received um, probably five or six patients each one with a horrific story but it's really great to be there for them and if I could choose I'd just be in the hospital all the time and never leave it just so I can feel useful and um, yeah and yeah we we talked to the head of um, trauma and the the person who's in, who's in charge in, in these war situations in the hospital and he said it was absolutely chaotic on a Saturday and they brought in a lot of dead bodies as well and that ER didn't know how to deal with the amount of patients and so we'll probably be having a lot of um, a lot of uh, how do you call it just 
drills to to train us for the next time this type of thing happens uh, and yeah you can see he said that you could see on the bodies that they weren't just killed you could see that they were tortured um, just by the type of wounds they had and stuff and the people who saw it it's really it, it's really scarring and really um, emotionally hard for them and um, prayers especially to one of my good friends from work her husband is a policeman and he's also been called up for reserve duty but until then uh, what he's been doing is identifying bodies including the bodies of the 40 babies he was the one to identify them so special prayers go out to him if you can because the horrors that he saw she says that it's like living with a ghost that he comes home and he's not really there so if you could pray for him and for her and also for all the women in my ward whose husbands are away at war some of them can't come to work because they have no one to look after their children and so they're stuck at home and feeling helpless as well because they can't come and work and help and also they're worried about their husbands so prayers especially to them but other than that our hospital is under control and also we have a lot of Arab doctors especially doctors in our ward and they have been receiving a lot of hate and a lot of calls of yeah just not people not patients not wanting them to look after them and uh, they they also feel it and so if you could pray for unity in between um, the Arabs and Jews that work together in the hospital that it would be a time of unity and and not separation that's another prayer point that because yeah um, yeah that's another prayer point so thank you all and I'm off to my shift now so yeah do you know the thing that struck me when I heard it the first time, and I actually had to pull over, I was in the car listening to it, and I had to pull over because I was so moved by it. The thing that struck me was the horror, the medical staff having to identify bodies that had been tortured before being killed, um, the policemen, the 40 babies. Do you know, I had people... Furious. We had a, a journalist here in Australia who, I don't know how he remains in a job, but he just said it was absolute rubbish. This didn't happen. He didn't know. He just said it didn't happen. And the day that I heard him say that was the day I heard this. And you have to remember that the thing about this audio is this audio was not made for broadcast. It was not made for the internet. It's a personal family audio, which I had the privilege of being able to listen to, and you have the privilege too of being able to listen to it as well. That's what amazed me about it. Something else that amazed me about it was, um, you know, the the horror of war as women are not able to go to work because their husbands have had to go to war, being called up. Or... Um, just the beautiful compassion of the nurse when she asks us to pray for the Arab doctors who are being abused in uh, the hospitals. You know, we just plead with the Lord to have mercy. And Do you know, I've also heard other moving things this week as well. I heard uh, 
a Palestinian doctor in a hospital in uh, Gaza who's just being overwhelmed. And you feel for him absolutely as well and for the people who are just going through that. And I personally feel an enormous anger against Hamas and Iran and the people who use these sufferings and who use children as human shields and who who have caused all this. You know, and again, we just have to be so careful. So there was this, the, the horrendous thing of the hospital being hit by a missile, or at least, uh, as it now turns out, it was in the hospital car park, it was hit by a missile. And uh, here's a BBC reporter saying it was the Israelis that did it. The Israeli military has been contacted uh, for comment and they have said that they are investigating. But, uh, you know, it is hard to see what else this could be, really, given the size of the explosion, other than an Israeli airstrike or several airstrikes. Uh, because, you know, when we've seen rockets being fired out of Gaza, uh, we never see uh, explosions of that scale. We might see uh, half a dozen, maybe a few more people being killed in such rocket attacks, but we've never seen anything uh, on the scale of the sort of explosion on the video I was watching earlier, uh, which, as you say, is still to be verified. And then Jeremy Corbyn joined in the ABC here and the New York Times initially. If you look at the New York Times headlines over 24 hours, they change dramatically. Why were they, why were they so quick to assume? Now, since then, it's become fairly obvious that this was not. In fact, the United States has declared absolutely it was not um, on their intelligence. There's a video, for example, of the missile coming from Gaza. The missile landed in a car park. It didn't seem to be precision targeted. And the crater that you see in the car park is much smaller than the, the normal uh, crater you get from an Israeli missile. And then the, there was the question that bothered me. Why would Israel attack a hospital on the day Biden visits? It's the one thing that would be guaranteed to uh, destroy his visit. And it did. The Jordanians decided not to go, the, and others as well. And then came this. What they're saying is it's two Hamas operatives, apparently, discussing and saying, one saying, well, it looks like it was Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is a more extreme group than Hamas, if you can believe that. And the second one saying, what, it came from us? Yeah, he said, yeah, it looks like it, it was local shrapnel. And then going on to say that they shot it from the cemetery beside the hospital. And the guy's saying, what was there a, 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 we didn't know there was a cemetery beside the hospital. But all of that fits. Now, here's what's wrong. When Jeremy Corbyn tweets out to his 10 million followers that Israel is deliberately bombing hospitals, he stirs up hatred and actually ends up being, I think, directly responsible for acts of vengeance. Now, of course, it is possible that the Israelis are really clever and faked all this. And actually, those who want to believe that they bombed a hospital and those who've gone and tweeted it all out will probably just say exactly the same thing. And it's, again, back to misinformation and fake news, of which we'll get more later. Hello, darkness, my old friend. 
I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping I'll tell you what, I'm going to go on to my album of the week. I've been listening to this album this week, uh, Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits, and it just this one, The Sound of Silence, seems to fit so well. Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend. In restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stared by the flash of a neon light That split the night And touched the sound of silence And in the naked light I saw Ten thousand people, maybe more People talking without speaking People hearing without listening People writing songs That voices never share No one dared Disturb the sound of silence Fools that I do not know Silence like a cancer grows Hear my words that I might teach you Take my arms that I might reach you But my words like silent raindrops fell Echo the wells of silence the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they made and the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming and the sign said the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls the tenement halls whispering Silence. Okay, let's move on to some other news. Uh, as I promised you last week, we'd look at the results of The Voice in Australia. Now, The Voice is not a singing competition. The Voice is was an attempt by the government to change the Australian constitution so that it recognised Indigenous people as the first inhabitants of uh, this wonderful country. Uh, that wasn't the controversial part. The controversial part was to set up a separate body, a constitutional body, called The Voice. Now, uh, there was little detail about how it would work. There were lots of problems with it. And uh, one of the big problems was many people felt, and I certainly cannot see any way around this argument, that it was tied in with making a distinction between race within the constitution. And the Australian people obviously thought the same. Now, Think about it this way. It was, it was so like Brexit. All the corporations were against. Most of the media were against. Most of the politicians, not all, um, but most. 
Uh, if you went anywhere in civic society in my area, you're bombarded with, you know, for the voice. And we were told things like vote with your heart. And the prime minister even said um, the reason for voting was to be kind. Well, I'm suggesting you're unkind if you weren't. Uh, it's, it was just an extraordinary thing. Uh, every celebrity that spoke spoke for the voice and people were saying, oh, what courage? Well, no, it's not courage at all. If, if you're just f f flowing with the river, flowing with the stream, it's not courage. Um, it would have been real courage to go the other way. But the elections come and gone or the referendum has come and gone. And it was overwhelming. And I mean overwhelming, despite all of the money, all that the government had, all of the corporations, all of the civic elites, despite all that they poured in, it was basically 60% against the voice, 40% for. Every single state voted against, apart from uh, the territory, the Canberra Territory, um, the ACT, which is kind of a small, very small um, political civil servant dominated it's where the capital is. Canberra is the capital of Australia, for those of you who don't know. It's not Sydney nor Melbourne. It's just Canberra is a made-up capital. So, how was this explained? Well, this again tells you a great deal about our society. People didn't understand or people were racist. So, here's just a, a small part of the ongoing discussion that there's been. The biggest dividing line seems to be education. So... If you are in a seat that had high levels of tertiary education, a bachelor or postgrad, then you were you were at the very top end of the yes vote. And if you had the lowest levels of tertiary education, you were at the, the low end of the yes vote. And that's not to say people who are educated know what they're doing and people who don't have tertiary education don't. It's about the style of the, the message, I think. The yes vote, if you look at it, has been achieved in places where voters have a bachelor's degree or have better than average wages and where you find educated people who know if you've got a bachelor's degree chances are you know something about government our structures you've taken an interest in the kind of way these things happen not because you're better but just because you've got the opportunity to have done that just to be clear like I'm not judging people's um, achievements it's just you've been able to find out lots of information Looking at that electoral map, there's actually a much simpler explanation. The areas that voted for the voice were exactly the rich urban bits where the voters were least likely to meet Aborigines, Sydney's North Shore, for instance, or Canberra. And the places that voted against were the, often the poorer and remoter bits where you were most likely to actually meet Aborigines and see for yourself whether a voice would actually fix things, Northern Territory, for instance, and Cape York. It's a battle between ideology and observation and observation one. People looking with their own eyes instead of dreaming like pink castles in, in rich urban areas. That's exactly the same with global warming policies, by the way. That's Andrew Bolt with uh, Walid Ali and Patricia Carvelas. Um, Ali pointing out rightly, but drawing the wrong conclusion, that many, inverted commas, educated people voted for. Uh, Carvalas goes even further. She's just an absolute snob. Educated people know something about our government and our structures, meaning those who don't have university degrees don't know. First of all, I know plenty of people who have university degrees who don't know. 
And I know plenty of people who don't have university degrees who do know. It is a ridiculous argument. And it's an argument from her position of privilege saying, people like us know. Do you know what will happen? There'll come a time when we'll be told certain people can't vote because they've not been educated in the right way. Here's the astonishing thing uh, about this in Australia. The rich, urban, white population with the least indigenous number of people in their area, these constituencies voted overwhelmingly yes. The constituencies with the most indigenous people, including the Northern Territory, which is 30% indigenous, voted overwhelmingly no. Now, there's been a rather silly attempt by people to say that there are some remote uh, polling stations which are almost entirely indigenous and they voted strongly yes. But that's about 7% of the indigenous population. Uh, it's, It's really making a desperate case. It appears that many indigenous people also voted against. So it's not, it's not because you're smarter or kinder or more educated. In fact, in this instance, I think education means indoctrinated. And just as in Brexit, people are much less likely to change their mind from the doctrine that they have been inculcated with, with at school, at university, on the media, and amongst their social class. Anyway, here's uh, an exa- another example of the kind of discussion that goes on. I think often in the community it is well understood that black anger is not tolerated and so we see leaders pull in their rage, pull in their sadness and constantly use language of generosity, use graciousness to try and appeal to the Australian people. And after this, I think there will be a generation of leaders who have been burnt by this and who won't be interested in doing that anymore. I would not be surprised if more people push towards that message that comes from Lydia Thorpe about not engaging so much with mainstream Australia, not bowing to them, um, challenging the Australian regime. And of course there will be anger. I think even if you weren't a card-carrying yes voter in the Indigenous community, to see the vote, to see Australians reject this so categorically, that's really hard. That's an ABC reporter. Um... And in, uh, she's, well, Indigenous, at least part Indigenous. Um, as I say, most of the Indigenous people in Australia, with very few exceptions, are mixed race. And she's an Indigenous reporter who uh, makes the most ridiculous statement. First of all, we've been really kind. Now we're not going to be kind. And secondly, she talks about the Australian regime as though this was Tehran. It's incredible. The independence. Uh, Member of Parliament, Ali Stegall, keeps going on now about wanting to put a bill in to stop misinformation and misleading political advertising. But what does that mean? Because they argue that the voice lost because of misinformation. What it means is that arguments that they don't like will be considered misinformation. So, for example, I think the Gaza hospital. What was said about that, about it being an Israeli attack, was misinformation and very dangerous misinformation. But I suspect that's not what they mean by misinformation. You want to just watch this space. I think this misinformation thing is has the potential to be phenomenally dangerous. Incidentally, Jacinta Price, the leading light of the No campaign, who is very much indigenous, um, 
she went to Parliament and tried to get a royal commission into indigenous child abuse, which is an extremely serious issue. Um, when you've got, as John Anderson pointed out, in, or it was Anthony Dillon in his conversation with John Anderson, two-year-olds with STDs, there's something severely wrong. And of course, there was uproar. The Parliament is not going to have that, of, of course. And now she's being accused of weaponizing child abuse. Wow. All right, let's go across the water to this country. That is God Defend New Zealand. That's the country we're going to look at this week. Um, it's a song. What You know what I, I love about it, actually? The fourth verse, which is never sung. Let our love for thee, that is God, increase. May thy blessings never cease. Give us plenty, give us peace. God, defend our free, defend our free land from dishonor and from shame. Guard our country's spotless name. Crown her with immortal fame. God, defend New Zealand. Well, New Zealand is what, about five times the size of Scotland with the same population? Five million people split into two main areas, the North Island and the South Island, and over 700 smaller islands. About 75% of the population are of European descent and then uh, indigenous uh, Maoris, I think, are about 16%, and then followed by Asians and Pacific Islanders. And astonishingly high, that in, in the light of that anthem, around 50% would say no religion, 37% Christianity, 3% Hinduism, 1.3% Islam, 1.1% uh, Buddhism. And the news in New Zealand, well, two events in particular. One is that New Zealand's Labour government, the government that was Jacinda Ardern's, had a disastrous election, slumping to half its vote from three years ago. Uh, the centre-right National Party has won with um, Christopher Luxon, their leader, becoming the new Prime Minister. And then, of course, this. The try has been awarded. The score is 22 all. And Aaron Cruden has the kick to win the game. The kick to make... The New Zealand All Blacks, the only team in the professional age from the top tier to go through a calendar year having won all their games, 14 out of 14. Well, one of the reasons why so many people, myself included, love sport is that it is drama writ large and this will be the most awful of endings for Ireland if it goes over. We 
may have to wait. Did Ireland charge too soon? He might have another go at it. Oh. Well, the law is this. They can't start moving until he starts moving. A second bite at the kick. Aaron Cruden to take the All Blacks into the history books and deny Ireland. Second time, he gets it right, and New Zealand have won what has to be one of the most pulsating games of rugby union we'll ever have the privilege of watching. It was a fantastic game of rugby. Now, if you if you've never liked rugby, you should be watching the Rugby Union World Cup because it is utterly brilliant. And that, I don't know if I've ever seen a game like that between Ireland and New Zealand. With they're over the eighty-minute mark, which is the next time the ball stops, goes out of play. That's it. The game's over. Ireland had won, and New Zealand scored a last-minute try, then missed a conversion. They scored a last-minute try to make it twenty-four-twenty-four. Um, extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. Uh, by the way, um, this is what I think of when I think of New Zealand. Uh, the hacker. Just this is the one they did before Ireland. Enjoy a little bit of it. Okay, I wanted to, uh, another listener sent me in this, I wanted to play it because last week, but we just ran out of time, so um, I love this.
losers lost their souls, so let the man now the establishment. That, by the way, is five, time, five Times August. I have no idea who they are, but I just really like that song. And I'll tell you what, um, let's just hear a little bit from the album of the week. This is The Boxer. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises. All lies in chess, still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Poland, let's just mention Poland. It looks as though um, Donald Tusk is going to end up back in charge of Poland because although his party came second, the majority party led by President... uh, Let's see. No, it's not President Duda. President Duda will decide who becomes. But the the majority party, the Law and Justice Party, uh, are probably going to get around 200 seats. They need 231 and the opposition, although they've got less, can rely on other parties to bring them to power, and that is almost certainly what is going to happen. Uh, let's come to the UK. The Labour Party have just won two spectacular victories uh, by elections, and uh, that's what makes this particular piece of news a bit worrying, because they are planning to jail people who use wrong gender pronouns on purpose under hate crime law. You can go to jail for up to two years. Apparently in Britain, you can chant the street. You can march on the streets seeking the destruction of Israel and shouting, kill the Jews. But to misgender someone, you'll go to jail for two years. Wow. Um, and I do want to say something about the church. I, I heard, well, let me just play this first of all. Listen to this. You know, one of the largest expenses we have in buildings, the amount of handicap parking and handicap accessibility that we have in our churches. Now let me make you mad for a minute and I don't really care. 
Why is it you pull up to a church that says they operate in faith and you have 50 handicapped parking spots? Ain't nobody laid hands on them handicapped folks yet. I don't care what Twitter says. You can get mad all you want to. Fold your arms, stick your lips out, pooch them out. I don't care. I'm so unafraid of what anybody in this tent thinks about me right now in my life. I could care less. We, we just expect that people are going to leave church the same way they came to church. We ought to start having some signs out there that don't have, you know, like, like handicap accessibility, people in a wheelchair. We ought to start having signs of a wheelchair laying down and somebody just walking up. Well, Pastor, I think you're being insensitive. I think you just don't have any faith is what I think. That is Pastor Gleg. Greg Locke, a man who attended the uh, Trump Capitol riots, or should I say before I get shot down, the Capitol riots associated with Donald Trump. Now, there's so much wrong with that. Let me just say a couple of things. First of all, the preacher says, I don't really care. You know, it's not following Christianity. I don't care about hurting you or upsetting you or whatever. It's this kind of sort of macho, ridiculous, childish talk. Paul says, I didn't mean to upset you. But if I did, you know, it was for your own good and so on. It's, it's just brava- it's disgusting, actually. And that whole thing about the theology of the disabled parking. I had a friend, um, Duncan, when he was a teenager, and four of us used to take him everywhere. And I mean everywhere. I think I remember once staying in a treehouse with him. And Duncan was very seriously ill. He was meant to have a year to live. He was in a wheelchair. I think he lived about three or four years. He was a lovely Christian. and uh, When we became Christians, some of the rest of us, we'd go to conferences with him. And one time we were at a meeting and a man came up to Duncan and said to him, the preacher came up to Duncan in his wheelchair and said, if you had enough faith, you could get out of that wheelchair. I knew violence wasn't right as a Christian, but I just so wanted to thump that guy. And so I said, excuse me. I said, that is, a rid- I was just a very young Christian. You know, I think I was 17 years old. I said, that is ridiculous. He said, I beg your pardon? I said, that is ridiculous. I said, you're saying if he has enough faith. I said, well, you're bald and you've got false teeth. Why don't you just throw out your false teeth? And why don't you rely on God to give you hair and have faith? I mean, honestly, it, it, it was so cruel, so horrible. Um, this pastor, Greg Locke, is pastor of uh, Global Vision Bible Church in Mount Juliet, Texas. Uh, he's divorced um, from his first wife, where they have four children. Uh, he has since married. In January 2018, he announced he was di- divorcing. In May, he divorced that year. And he married his administrative assistant. Uh, a few months later. Nah, Mr. Locke. I loathe your kind of Christianity. Honestly, it's so embarrassingly bad. I don't even care if it's called evangelical. It's just awful. It's as bad as, if not worse, than liberalism. What a way to misrepresent Christ. Okay, I am going to leave you there because I am exhausted uh, because we are in the midst of packing up and 
you do not realize how much stuff you have until you have to pack it all up. You know, I was thinking of that when I heard the news about Andy Bathgate, the former head of Scripture Union in Scotland, who died in his sleep this week. Now, one of the problems when people die is everyone says nice things about them, but with Andy, it's, it's absolutely 100%. He was so gracious and kind, and he was such an encouragement to me in so many ways. And, you know, I love the idea that he went to bed, apparently in good health, fell asleep and didn't wake up. Or rather, he did wake up. He woke up in heaven. Um, I'm so glad we don't have to pack up everything on this earth to go to heaven. I'm so glad that one day the Lord will call us home as he did Andy and all the tears of this world will be gone. When you're weary Feeling small When tears are in your eyes I will dry them all I'm going to leave you with another Simon and Garfunkel song. Um, it's what we need in our world. We need the bridge over troubled water. It's what we need in Israel and in Ukraine in Gaza, in Australia, in America, in the United Kingdom, everywhere, every country, every community, we need bridges. And the ultimate bridge over troubled water is, of course, Christ. So if you don't know him, you're listening to this, I pray that you will come to know him. And we pray the Lord's protection on you all. God bless you. Thanks to Peter for producing this. If you want to support um, Quantum, just go to the Podbean fundraiser. If you've got any comments, theweeflee.com, just go there or write theweeflee at gmail.com and uh, we'll see you next week and I hopefully will be in a new city, the city of Newcastle in New South Wales. So God bless you and see you then. Bye. When you're down and out When you're on the street Sail on, silver girl